Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Scripture reading this morning will be John chapter 21, verses 20 through 25. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but... If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. We have a great crowd today, and a lot of folks who were not here last week because of PTP have returned their, their eyes are at half-mast because they had such a, a great but a busy time. So many lessons, so much camaraderie. It was a wonderful time. And we have visitors today who are on this, in this part of the country because of polishing the pulpit. The Essenes are back here, and uh, Lima and Athena, they're here. They're back there by the Soli clan, and they are dear friends of ours, and he's the preacher for that great church in Honolulu. And he was from that area. They were. Went to preaching school, wanted to preach the gospel, came back, and everybody kind of held their breath, I think. Can you go back? Can you go back? Can you do this? And, and I doubt that that church has ever been stronger than it is today because of their work and because of God's blessing on them. And it's just a wonderful thing to have them here. And we have a lot of folks who are visiting, and we're just glad that you're here. Brother James referenced in his prayer the will of God today, and I was glad about that. I hadn't talked to him about my lesson. But this is the direction the lesson is to go. What is the will of God for your life? What is God's will for you? That's very interesting in view of the fact that people often pray for God's will to be done in their lives. And sometimes people have big decisions to make, difficult decisions. Have you ever prayed and prayed, I don't know what your will is, will you show me your will? And sometimes it has to do maybe with with a house purchase. And the market is very expensive right now, and should I move my family to this house, and it means this in payments, and I don't know the future, and, and I want to know your will, show me your will. And sometimes it's about who to marry, and she may pray, Father, I think he's the right one. I think he has the qualities I'm looking for in a husband, but I want to do your will. Show me your will. And the fact of the matter is, apart from the scriptures, we're not going to know his will. It isn't God's way to to communicate in, in ambiguous signs. And sometimes, I had a lady write recently, and she she said that, 
she wasn't sure about the second marriage that she was in. It sounded to me like she had a scriptural right to be married to this second gentleman, but she just never felt very good about it. And so she'd been praying that, that God would show her some way, if this wasn't good, if this wasn't within his will, that somehow God would show that to her. But the problem was she started looking for little signs and maybe this is it. And that was the nature of the note. Do you think this little sign, and to me it seemed like a rather, rather trivial, the, the sign itself, that she just wanted to know, could this be a sign that God is saying to me that this is not his will? Well, I'm here to tell you that's not how God communicates. Apart from the scriptures, we do not know what his will is. But his will is a fascinating diamond. And I call it a diamond because a diamond is multifaceted. And if you hold a diamond and you turn it, you see the different surfaces of it. And I'm going to give you five different ways that we look at God's will today. The scriptures display God's will. And so for those of you who are keeping notes, and especially our young people who will be keeping notes, I'm going to give five different ways that we see God's will. And that last one has five or, or four specifics attached to it. So a list of five and a list of four, and that'll be the lesson for this morning. Five different facets of the will of God. The first one is the unconditional will of God. This is where you have to start. This has to do with displaying the sovereignty of God. That, that, that God is not stoppable. God is all-powerful. He's not inhibited like humans are. And you, you and I make plans with other people, and I'll see you at the office at four, or, or I'll be at my house at five, and, and you be there, and, or maybe we'll have lunch together, noon at, at Jason's Deli. We'll be there, and I'll see you there. Yes, sir, I'll be there. Well, maybe you will, and maybe you won't. And there's a pre-understanding that the humans are always potentially inhibited about their plans. Maybe, maybe your plans will come to pass and maybe they won't, but a lot of things could happen that could stop your plans. But God has no such inhibitions. God has no such things that prevent him. God's unconditional will is always going to follow through. Now, I really love Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22. It talks about the weather. While the earth remains seed time and harvest... Cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. In the fall, Cindy and I always talk about, now we don't always do it, but we try to do it, to take a day and, and call it our leaf day. Maybe if you can hit peak week, that's really good. And see the colors and just drive and look at the leaves. Have you ever done that? And sometimes it doesn't mesh with our schedule, and it would be very nice if I could just say, I tell you what, that doesn't fit the schedule, so what I need to do is to extend... The, the leaf time, maybe a month this year, we could extend it. And then, you know, that's pretty funny, of course, because you'll never do that. It's transcendent. That the, the weather doesn't care. The seasons don't care what you think about them. This is the will of God. It's very funny. You know, there are things today, even in this climate, where people shake their fist at heaven and say, God, I'm not going to be the gender that you made me. And that's silly. Of course you are. You can't change that. God did that. And this is God's uncompromising, unchanging, unconditional will. Hebrews 9 and 27 is familiar to you. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. Everybody in this room probably knows that passage. I want you to know that's God's unconditional will. It is God's sovereign will. It is God's unstoppable will. It is his will that this happens, not contingent on any decision any human being makes. There are times when you'll hear about somebody who is very rich and very powerful, maybe very well known, a popular. When John Lennon was killed several years ago, 
He was worth, in today's numbers, $620 million. That wasn't the biggest thing, though. He was well-known all over the world. Everybody knew the Beatles. Everybody knew about that. Everybody knew John Lennon's name. I suppose all over the world people knew that. And yet, he couldn't choose not to die. He didn't have enough money to not die. You want to know why that's true? Want to know why it's true that you and I will leave this world one day? The answer is because that's part of God's unconditional will. It's God's will. It is his sovereign will. And we won't change it. 2 Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord will come. You want to negotiate that? You You can't negotiate that. I'm telling you that's going to happen. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth, the works therein shall be burned up. That's what's going to happen. You know why? It's because that's God's unconditional sovereign will. It will come to pass. It's a wonderful place to start this lesson because it is that sovereign will that grounds us in our lives that God's got this. God is in control and he's all-powerful. So the first kind of will of God, first facet to look at it of his will, is unconditional. Now the second one is God's permissive, what I'm going to call his permissive will. Now just because God created us and he's all-powerful doesn't mean that everything God wishes to happen will happen. Not in, not in this sense that I'm describing right now. God's permissive will is to say that God sometimes, well, I should say sometimes things happen in our lives, not because God deliberately made them happen or causation occurred, but because God, God allows us choices, that he moves back and lets us have choices. Sometimes people have terrible tragedy happen in their lives. Maybe you have. And it's really easy to stand back and look at that tragedy, some terrible heartache. I didn't see this coming, and it blindsided me, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. And my first response could be to lift my eyes to heaven and say, how could this be your will? Why is this your will? As if there's causation there, as if God in all matters points and says, I want this to happen now and this to happen now. Now I'll tell you something. There are occasions when God works in this world. I know that to be true. The Bible teaches he works in the governments of men. I know that to be true. But I also know something else. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 3. Let me show you some passages that describe God's permissive will. Hebrews 6 and verse 3 talks about the people, uh, Christians, who who are still, they're, they're older. They've been Christians for a long time and they should be into, into the meat of the word, but they're not. They're still like babes. They just know so little about the Bible because they don't study the Bible like they should. And he says, we will grow. We will grow stronger. This we will do. And then this little tag, if God permits. You see, appreciate the fact that, that that means that I understand that I live and move because God lets me. It's because because God keeps this old world going and it keeps me going and all that's true. At the same time, I'm going to grow. If he lets me live, I'm going to make this decision. God didn't cause that to happen. God didn't make that happen. He lives, leaves that decision up to me. That's God's permissive will. I love Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 11 to demonstrate this. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. Listen now. But the time and chance happen to them all. What's that last line? 
That is to say that, that God has not caused everything specifically that happens in this world. That God allows some things to happen. That God allows people to make decisions and to, to live with the blessing or consequence, negative consequence of those decisions. There's his permissive will. My favorite probably though is James chapter 4 and 15 for this one. Go to now, you know this passage. Go to now, you that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and we'll continue there a year and we'll make these plans, all the different plans, because he says, instead what you should say, if the Lord wills, we will be doing this or that. It's God's will. It's God's will. But not that, he, not that we're going to go into the city and continue there a year. That's left to our discretion. The point of the writer is, is that is that God gives permission and God cares for us and allows us to have life in order to make those decisions. So this is the second one. I'm calling it God's permissive will. It is his will that we live in this world for the period of time that we have here. And in that time, he gives us the ability to make these choices and decisions. Number three, it's God's conditional will. The Bible describes this in a number of different places. Where you have a guarantee of a of something, something negative, something positive, if a condition is met. Genesis chapter four and verse seven. Here's to Cain. Cain, if you do well, you'll be accepted. If not, sin lies at the door. Now get that, please. And incidentally, in our lives, sin always lies at the door. I can choose to follow a path of sin in my life anytime I want to. I've got that. Ability to make that choice. But what God says to Cain here is that if you do this, here will be the result. If you do well, and that that means in this context, if you'll serve me, if you'll follow me, if you will obey me, the consequence is you'll be accepted. And if not, here's the consequence of that. God has a will that everybody in this world goes to heaven. But that's a conditional will. Right? It's conditional. Acts twenty two sixteen. why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. That washing away the sins part is the consequence, is the in this case the blessing. But it's hinging. Not everybody's going to have forgiveness of their sins because not everybody's going to obey the gospel by repentance and confession and baptism. It's a conditional promise. It's part of the conditional will of God. And perhaps the most familiar of these, and I like this one, 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. It's a very familiar passage, but... I use it in this case because it uses the term God's will or a variation of it. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise. This is some men count slackness. He's long-suffering to us. Word. Ready? Not willing that any should perish. Is it God's will that any should perish? No. Then he adds, but that all should come to repentance. It's conditional will. So number three in this list of five is God's conditional will. You will have forgiveness of your sins based on whether or not you walk in Christ, based on whether or not you obey the gospel and access the blood appropriated to your soul and just the way the Bible says. That's God's conditional will. Here's number four. It's God's ideal will. His ideal will. Now these kind of bleed over. His ideal will is that, is that there are times that he really wills that everybody in the world will be saved. Do you think it's a, you think it's a strange thing to say that, 
that God doesn't get everything he wants? Wow, that's a powerful thought. Does God get everything he wants? It's very similar. You know, now, wait a minute. I'm not minimizing the power of God. When I, I remember years ago going to summer camp and, and being with kids, and I've always enjoyed doing that, the teenagers. Because teenagers have interesting questions sometimes. And uh, one of them was, now, is, if God is so powerful, could he make 2 plus 2 not equal 4? Could he make 2 plus 2 equal 6? Now, how do you respond to that? And they, they kept on going, and they just thought this was jolly fun. Is, is it possible, if God is all-powerful, could God make a car so fast? Gentlemen, ready? Could, could he make a car so fast that it could get to the finish line before it left the starting line? I just slapped a kid for that one. <laughs> no, I didn't, of course. The answer is, of course, the two plus two thing is that God operates within these confines. Could he, the better question would be, if he wanted to, could he have changed the whole system of all numerical, mathematical things? Could he, could he have done that? And the answer to that is yes. But within the confines of what we know to be right according to the system of mathematics, the answer is two plus two equals four. Here's, here's Ezekiel 18.23. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? Or, or 1 Timothy 2.4, who desires all men to be saved? Now you just underline that word in your mind right now. God desires that all men will be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Is that going to happen? Hmm. He's not willing that any should perish. Is that going to happen? Hmm. You've got to find a category for that, folks. And the category, you, you could phrase it perhaps a better way than this, but I would phrase it, I would categorize it as God's ideal will. This is his will. He wants everybody to go to heaven. But the overriding thing is that he wants voluntary service. He wants people to choose to follow him, not because they're coerced or forced or manipulated into it, but, but people serve him because they love him. People serve him because they want to, and they come to, to God through Jesus Christ. I... I I'm not willing, he says, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, here's number five. This one is the most pragmatic. Of all this list of the different facets of the will of God, this one is the one. I mean, if you can't get all five, you'll be sure you get this one straight. It's his expressed will. His expressed will. Or you might, you might use the word revealed will. It is, it is striking to me how many people talk about the will of God. And if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, I want you to think about the fact that, that by God's will, your world, your life is pretty well charted on out. I don't know what every day is going to hold, and I don't know about the ups and downs of my life and what's going to happen in the future, but I can tell you this. If I know my own heart, I know, and I'm physically able, I know what I'm going to be doing on the Lord's day for the rest of my life. I was taken by, by the song that Keith led a while ago that, that contains these words, and I scribbled them down so I could remember to say them to you. When time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to the old rugged cross. How do you know that? How could you say such a thing? And the answer is, when you, when you submit yourselves to the revealed will of God, the expressed will of God, 
then you know something about your future. I know what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to serve him. What's interesting to me about the expressed will of God and in relation to people today and, and how we talk about God's will is that I think, I think that there are a whole lot of folks who wonder about the will of God for their lives. And maybe sometimes they pray to God to, to reveal his will for their lives. But people, I'm talking about people who have never obeyed the gospel. They never have. Now see, if you don't see a disconnect in that, you should. Because it doesn't do any good, does it, to pray to God to show me your will for my life when all of these kinds of things have been already given in his will, which is his word. In a moment, we're going to go to John chapter 21. I want to show you that. But four big things about, about God's expressed will that I want you to get. Here they are, the four big things. God has expressed in his will, which is the Bible, the scripture, number one, that Christ will return and we don't know when. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35. The Bible says, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. See, this, this world of ours is going to be destroyed. All of it will be destroyed. But of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. That's, now I don't know if that changed after Jesus was resurrected or after he was ascended and maybe that Jesus knew the day and the hour at that time. But the, the point is that there is going to be a day and an hour. And it's already been predetermined when the Lord is going to return to this earth and this earth is all going to be utterly destroyed. Now let me tell you something. God has expressed his will to us in this revealed way, in this, this expressed way. I think the other four are very interesting, and it helps us understand some great things about God, valuable things about our God. But this is the one that you got to get, is that he's expressed his will. And if God's going to show you his will, it won't be through some sort of mystical kind of hints, ambiguous hints about his will. Show me your way. And then some things happen and I tag on, oh, this, must be, you know, this is God's will. This is God communicating something to me. That's just spooky nonsense. That's not true. If you know something about the will of God, it's going to be because you read it on the pages of the word of God. This is his expressed will for your life. And here's the big one. Number one is that God is sending his son back. We're going to meet him in the air. And there's going to be a great judgment day. And this old earth is going to be destroyed lock, stock, and barrel. That is his will. Acts 17 and 31, he's appointed a day. He's appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained. He's appointed a day. He's written it now. There's a day, and God knows exactly what it is, and, and this old world is going to come to an end. Now, that is absolute, universal, ob objective truth. That's going to happen that's God's will, and, and nothing is going to deter him from that. Why do you suppose he kept it a secret? I mean, about when he's coming back. Why, why, do you, why do you think that if he has appointed a day, and that's what the Bible says, why do you suppose he doesn't tell us what that is? And you could say, I just think that's very inconsiderate of God. Eh, he could let us know. Wouldn't that be better? Eh, no, it wouldn't. No, no, it wouldn't be better. He set this up so that we would be faithful. You know, what he really wants is for us to follow Jesus Christ. Follow me. Follow me. 
Not not because I think that I'm on the very precipice, the very edge of the end of the world, that I would rush quickly now to make sure I get things right. He wants me to live faithfully for Jesus every single day. Here's the big one. Number one is that the, the end of this world is coming, and we don't know when. But he will return. Now, here's the second one. You and I simply have to be ready for it. Want to know God's will for your life? You be ready for it. You just live your life ready for it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. To you who are troubled, there's two, two groups of people here. To you who are, this is the judgment day. To you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Now watch, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. Do you know God and have you obeyed the gospel? Because when the trumpet blows, these are the ones who are going to be lost. They know know not God and they haven't obeyed the gospel. The end shows, and this is what I've got on the board here, this shows the second category. This is where I want to be. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. You and I simply have to be ready. I want to be in that group. I want to be in the group that's glorifying him because I've been looking for his return. Because I, I have decided a long time ago I want to follow King Jesus with all that I've got. Those are the people who are going to go to heaven. Those people who have obeyed the gospel and they know God and they, they have served him. Number three, total knowledge of God's will is not required for following him. I want to go to John chapter 21. Ben read several verses of this earlier before the sermon. And this is after Jesus was crucified after the resurrection from the dead. And he, he comes to the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret. And, and his disciples are out there, some of them are out there fishing. They've been fishing all night and they haven't caught anything. And they, they, they look, and I, I suppose they see a man there, and he calls out to them and says, Have you caught anything? No, nothing all night. And he builds a little fire there. And Jesus does, and he starts cooking some breakfast. And he said, Cast your nets on the other side. And they did. And they had 153. Now, see, this is big. This is really big. I doubt they'd ever seen anything like this, much less count, uh, caught anything like this. 153 large fish are in that net, and the net's not torn. And they just have to work and work to hoist the thing up into the boat. And John says to Peter, it's the Lord. They hadn't been able to tell it yet, but now this is, they know, this is Jesus. And it's the Lord, and, and Peter just jumps out of the boat. Now, the New King James gets this, I think, right. The old King James says that he was naked and he put on his garment. The new King James says that he's wearing his undergarment only. You can imagine him just pulling his shirt off, got an undershirt on or whatever he was wearing. And he jumps in the water and he swims to Jesus to get there as quick as he can, which is really rather remarkable in view of the fact that it's only been a few days ago since Peter denied him with a curse. But he wants to get to him now as fast as he can. Can I give you a parenthetical note? This is a side note. Don't lose your track of thought. But in verse 9 of John, John 21, Jesus had made a little fire of coals there. In the next few verses, he's going to say, Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. Do you love me? And when he says that, 
It's beside this little coal, this little fire of coals there on which Jesus is cooking the breakfast. And he, give me, give me some more of your fish and let's put them on here. So you could smell, you could smell the fish cooking as he's having this conversation. Do you, Peter, do you love me? And here's the parenthetical note that I'm just going to throw in is that there's only one other time. It's an interesting word for coals of fire, a fire of coals. Only, only other time that's found in the New Testament is the one where Peter was standing when he was cursing and denying the Lord. A couple of chapters earlier in John 18. Don't you think that's interesting? Maybe it's just Bible trivia, trivia, but I find it fascinating. Anyway, in that context, of course, Peter, Peter gets a little frustrated. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. And then here we go. I'm, I'm in John chapter 21 and verse 17. And he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then the Lord said, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signified. Well, it's not hard to figure out what that means. It means crucifixion. This he spoke signifying what death he would glorify, by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. If you had to summarize what God's will is for your life, succinctly, this would have to be it. Follow Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John who wrote this by inspiration. He saw this disciple whom Jesus loved following who also had leaned on his chest at the supper and had said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So it's John. Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and, and what will this man do? Jesus said to him, if I will. I'm going to come back to that. There's our word. If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then the saying went out among the brethren that this, this disciple would not die. And Jesus didn't say that. He said, but if I will that he remain till I come, what's that to you? And then you have the finish. Number three on our list is this. Total knowledge of God's will is not necessary. It's not required for following Jesus. In verse 22 of John 21, Jesus said, If I will that he remain till I come, what's that to you? In other words, Jesus has just explained, prophesied what's going to happen to Peter. You're going to die this way. And Peter says, what about him? Well, you, you don't need to know my will about him. This is just my will about you. And there's no reason for you to know that. I would use that to emphasize this point. Total knowledge of God's will in every detail is not required for following him. I don't know what would happen or what's going to happen to John. Jesus didn't want to tell Peter. Didn't see any point in that. He emphasizes this is about you, Peter, not about him. And I don't need to explain all of that. But the second thing is I don't know, frankly, about Peter's martyrdom. And was that a thing that happened because, because God deliberately caused it? He did sometimes do that, you know, but not all the time. Was this part of God's permissive will? I don't know. I, I don't, and Peter didn't know that. But now here's number four. Each individual is responsible personally to follow Christ. 
I, I don't know what I would say if Jesus said to me, in essence, you know, you're going to be carried by others to a place you don't want. You're going to face crucifixion yourself. I don't know how I would respond to that piece of prophetic information. It doesn't, it's, it's going to be really hard. But anyway, Peter's response was to look up and see John and say, well, what, what, what about him? I don't know what Peter was thinking. What was he thinking about when he asked that question? And the answer is, it doesn't matter about him. I'm talking about you. I'm talking every, every individual's responsible personally to follow Christ and to follow his will. What's the answer for Peter? Follow me. Follow me. What are you doing in your life right now? Is it a true statement that in your life right now you're following Jesus Christ? Because that's his will for your life. And the specifics of that are found on the pages of the Bible. That, that's how that is. And so we live our lives every day. I want to be in Christ. I know what the Bible says about obeying the gospel of being in Christ. I want to be in Christ. I want to be part of a, of a congregation of God's people that are faithful. A sound congregation of God's people. I want to treat people on the outside with, with honesty and integrity and kindness and benevolence because that's, that's what following Jesus means. And in every aspect of our lives, we just turn loose with both hands and we're Christians. I want to treat people honestly every time. Follow me. That's what he says. Sometimes this funny thing that Peter does when he says, but what about John is what we do. And It's a temptation to measure my faithfulness by other people. I'm not, I'm, I, you know, I, I may not be living a faithful Christian life, but I'm not as bad as... Not as bad, you know, just Luke chapter 18 and the Pharisee and the publican are praying and the Pharisee says, I think that I'm not like other men are. You know, I fast twice a week and I give tithes. I'm so much better than most people. Big deal. So what? What's that? It's like Peter saying, well, what about John? Jesus says, it's not, it's not, it's, that's nothing to you. Everybody individually is responsible to Jesus Christ. Maybe to say, I'm from a Christian family. And, and somehow that, that bolsters my relationship to the Lord. And this is going to be personal, individual. Do you ever wonder about Judas? You think Judas may be argued that way? After all, he was a, an apostle, Acts chapter 1. He was one of the apostles. Could it be that he felt that he was so close to Jesus and that he had served Jesus so very much and that maybe, maybe this thing wouldn't be so bad for him? I don't know. I don't know. I know that every one of us will give an account to God. Our challenge is to trust the Lord Christ, even though we don't know his total will about everything. It's very much like a child to his parents. Right now, Jesus is on the right hand of God. I want to follow him because I want to go where he is. Our God is very profound, and what I know about him is exactly what he wills to let me know. And I know that he has an unconditional will, a permissive will, a conditional will, an ideal will, and I know that he has a revealed will that he's expressed to me on the pages of the Bible so that I can serve him and follow him. And I'm going to be his child, and I want to serve him every day of my life. Are you a Christian? Have you obeyed his gospel? It doesn't do any good. It doesn't do any good in your life to say, I wonder what his will is if I'm not concerned about what he's revealed to me. 
And if you understand about obeying the gospel, you understand what he's taught us, you ought to do that. You ought to repent of your sins and confess his name and be baptized to wash your sins away. That's just because, it's because that's what his will is. We'll be happy to help you do that today. If you are a child of God, but you've strayed away from his will and you want to come back again, and you want the prayers of the Christians, we'll be so happy to do that. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. If you'd like to respond, come as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.